Thanks, Atila. Of course, uh, he's back at 1 o'clock to give you more news. Now, remember, some of the issues that we're tackling today, an official memorial service for the late former Chief Justice Pius Lunga takes place at the Durban City Hall later today. And uh, we will be continuing our reporting on Zimbabwe, so stay tuned for that. But we always welcome your thoughts and views on the stories we bring to you today. So do that by sending us an SMS to this number, 34701. 34701. Remember, it costs you two rand to SMS us. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is SAFM Midday Live or email us at middaylive at sabc.co.za. Looking forward to hearing from you today, so do get a hold of us. Now, let's talk about Zimbabwe. Vote counting is underway in Zimbabwe's tightly fought election amid high voter turnout and accusations of vote rigging by President Robert Mugabe's allies, who wish to extend his 33-year rule. The 89-year-old is absolutely Africa's oldest leader and is running for office for the seventh and perhaps final time. His rival, Morgan Changarai, hopes the election will usher in a new era for the troubled southern African nation. Is that possible? Well, we're on the line from Zimbabwe to our foreign editor, Kenneth Makatis. Kenneth, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Uh, elections largely peaceful, they say, compared to 2008, but is it fair? Good afternoon, Dejan. Look, uh, Bajan, I think at the moment I don't really hear the word free and fair. I think the word that's being used is credible to describe these elections. Um, I think that the NDC has raised a number of issues at the news conference yesterday, a long list of it, um, making all kinds of claims about vote rigging. I think the point that they were making was that the elections weren't rigged yesterday, but that were rigged in the month in the run-up to the elections yesterday. Um, General Obasanjo, that's heading the observer team of the AU, said last night that based on what he saw what, when he was visiting the different uh, polling stations here in Harare, his assessment was that the elections were credible based on what he saw. Now, in the interviews that we've had with many of the observers from the African Union, from SADC and other people, of course, it's all off the record, they feel that they didn't observe anything not to describe the elections as credible. Mm. What has the ZEC said about uh, these claims of vote rigging, uh, especially by the MDC who've rejected this vote now and said there's monumental fraud, up to two million people that weren't able to vote in this election? That's, that's what they were saying. They, they listed quite a lot of, um, uh, of uh, points yesterday at the news conference, and they were saying, and even this morning again, that there were about 2 million papers that were printed with the same serial numbers that have existed already, and their argument was yesterday afternoon that apparently these 2 million papers would be put into ballot boxes by last night. They also claimed that Two million people were deleted from the voters' roll. There were large-scale um, voters that were denied into polling stations, etc., etc. But um, I think the burden of proof also rests on the NDC that if they make these claims, they have to come forward. Now, the question was also put to the issue here. Didn't have access to this voters' roll uh, up till yesterday. What, how can you then say that two million voters mm. were deleted from the voters' roll? So there's, there's a lot of arguments and, as I said, a lot of points that they put forward to justify that the elections was rigged. But I think the one thing that we all have to accept, and I don't think anyone denied it, is the fact that we sat with the voters' roll that was chaotic. I, uh, and that was, was probably the basis for, for a lot of the problems. But as I pointed out earlier, the NDC's argument is that the rigging has been placed not yesterday, but in the months in the run-up to this election. Uh, a senior source within uh, ZANU-PF uh, says he can't be named, but uh, they say they've taken this election. They've buried the MDC and, and say they've never had any doubt that they were going to win. Uh, what do they say about the claims of vote rigging? Look, of course they are denying it. Uh, the... The official results are not out yet, but uh, in terms of the law, the results in, at individual polling stations are being posted outside. And um, my information, and as I said, the, the official results are not out yet, but my information is that the, the, the PF has actually won with a, with a 
uh, you know, countrywide. They actually have garnered, and the estimate apparently is, is more than 60%. But as I said, it's not official results. It's our information that, that we are given that we've got access to. I was also told uh, earlier, uh, before I came here, that apparently the Secretary General of the NDC, Tenta Diti, has lost his constituents. You know, again, I can't confirm this. This is what I, what you hear when you talk to, to people uh, in the know-how. So I think uh, also when we, I spoke to Tenagiti this morning, it was quite clear that he, he, he was extremely unhappy. In fact, he went so far to say that he rejected the, the results of this election. It's a fraud election. Um, I then asked him, but why on earth did you take part in an election which is described as fraud, fraudulent? And he said he had to fight for our people and so on. So obviously the Ghana PS is denying this. Is that is denying it. And as I said, Yes, the, the, the voters' role is chaotic. Nobody's denying it. But I must also say what uh, General Abbasanjo said um, uh, yesterday morning when he spoke to him. He said he had a briefing from the Registrar General that's responsible for the voters' role. In, in, on the information that he received from the Registrar uh, General, he said they can get by, by it. That was the words that he used, meaning that they, they can live with it. Kenneth, how is local media, state media reporting on this? Look, obviously, the state media said two days ago, the front page of the Herald, which is government-owned and supporting newspaper, said that uh, the ZANAPF is going to win with a two-thirds majority. Now, if the information is correct that we are receiving now that they did get more than 60%, then I assume they were not far off. They have consistently said that ZANAPF was going to win, but there's also another daily newspaper, Newsday, which says on Monday that the NBC was going to get more than 60% of the vote, and it's from all indications, it seems that it's not going to happen. And that was our foreign editor in Zimbabwe, Kenneth Makatis. Uh, we're now joined on the line by our senior political reporter, Mishlatse Gallens, who's also deployed in Harare. Mishlatse, very good afternoon. We understand you had an interview with the finance minister, Tendai Biti. Uh, yes, we did, uh, Darshan. Uh, basically, a very unhappy MDC this morning, saying with no, uh, with all certainty that they will not be accepting uh, the results uh, when the outcome is finally announced. And you know, it comes across from what they alleged yesterday. Uh, you know, they were claiming that there was massive irregularities uh, that they were saying Zach was allowing to happen and violation of the new electoral act that was actually put in just a few months before uh, these elections through a referendum. And basically what he was also doing is throwing the bunker to Sadiq and the African Union because in that interview he also mentioned that it's now up to Sadiq to actually decide on Zimbabwe's future, warning that if this election is accepted as it is, we will continue to see uh, the mass exodus of Zimbabweans to neighboring countries as they desperately try and find uh, some uh, some economic uh, retreat given what is happening in the country. Well, we have a clip of that interview with 10 diabetes to play for you now. The greatest shenanigans were centered around the voters' row, which was so manipulated it excluded over 2 million people. In Harare alone, it excluded over 200,000, sorry, 300,000 uh, people. Uh, and it was so skewered against the urban areas. So the voter registration rate in rural areas was about 93%. The voter registration rate in urban areas was about uh, 73%. And yet, the urban areas are more populated than the, than the rural areas. And that was, of course, the country's finance minister, Tendai Beatty, speaking there to our reporter, Mishlatsa Gallens. Mishlatsa is still on the line with us. Uh, how far is counting at this stage? Uh, Darshan, I'm actually speaking to you from Mbare uh, Township, which is just a few kilometers outside of Harare, and here on this open field where they erected about five tents, uh, which were uh, the polling stations yesterday. Counting has been finished and the results have been posted outside of the tent and people are clamoring to come and see what the outcome is. Uh, from these five tents, President Robert Mugabe is leading uh, from this small area, of course, not an indication that this is what is happening across the country. But also we have seen ZANU-PF members 
celebrating just a few minutes before you came to me. Uh, there, were, there was a convoy of uh, cars uh, with uh, ZANU-PF members uh, hanging outside of the windows, hooting, ululating, and singing party songs. Very, very excited. They, they are convinced that this is a victory that they have already clinched. Mm. Uh, yesterday, I know when we spoke to you, there were reports of police officers uh, trying to enter the voting queues because they weren't able to vote on the special voting days. There were also reports of altercations between police officers and soldiers. Do you have more on that for us? Uh, we have not received uh, more on that, but we saw policemen uh, actually voting yesterday. Of course, it was because of the chaos that was seen with the early voting where there wasn't enough ballots and ink and all of that. And this is one of the issues that the NDC itself has actually raised uh, because they are arguing that they, number one, do not agree with the numbers of security forces. Kandabiti saying that he, as the finance minister, was paying some 40,000, whereas on the list there's some 70,000. And also he was saying that they don't have confidence that Zach had actually been able to cross out from the ballot. Uh, those that had already voted, because remember, about some half of them had actually been able to vote. It was another half that still needed to vote. And they were saying those were the kind of discrepancies that they've seen. When do we get official vote, uh, vote uh, counting results from these polling stations? Um, by law, the ZEC has had to report the results within five days. At the moment, they haven't given us an indication in terms of whether they will be uh, releasing them as they are coming out or if we will have to wait for all of the provinces to be calculated and a final result actually uh, released. And that's what we saw with the referendum where they waited for the final outcome before they released them. Obviously, Zimbabwe is very, very anxious, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, everybody hopeful that they will follow the law because you remember in the last election, it took more than five weeks for the results to be released. Our senior political reporter there, Mashlatse Gallens, thanks so much for joining us. She's in Zimbabwe together with our SABC News team covering this election, and we will get you updates as soon as they're available. Let's bring you back home now as we take you to Ermelo, an unprotected strike by more than 400 employees at the Umsukalikwa municipality in Ermelo, Mpumalanga, has severely affected the service delivery of basic services. The workers have been on strike since last Friday after the cash-strapped municipality decided to stop employees from encashing leave as part of a cost curtailment measure. Now, water supply has been cut off in many parts of Ermelo as there are no workers controlling water supply at water treatment plants. Waste is also not being collected from the streets and residents can't pay for municipal services. For more on this now, we're joined on the line by our reporter, Mweli Maselela. A very good afternoon to you, Mweli. Thanks for joining us. What's the situation like there now? Uh, I can tell you from since this morning, we've seen uh, the striking workers protesting outside the municipal offices. Uh, they they were as well burning tires, uh, uh, making sure that they are blocking people who are coming into the municipality uh, to try and pay for uh, their services. And also, as you said, uh, the issue of water supply is still a problem here. And also, we are seeing uh, uh, some of the states' uh, rubbish is piling up. And also sewer spills, uh, we also seen uh, those things happening here. Uh, uh, the, we spoke to, to the municipality uh, because the workers are actually uh, accusing the municipality of failing to, uh, to engage them on the issue of termination of uncashable leave. Uh, but the municipality is saying that this is an issue that was discussed in 2003 to say that due to the fact that the municipality is running out of funds, uh, its budget is not meant, uh, sustainable, then there were supposed to be ways of cutting costs within the municipality. So uh, 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 removing the, the uh, incashable leave was one of the ways that we discussed and then we agreed upon. Uh, but the workers are saying that they were not part of that agreement. And really, what is the municipality doing to restore services to this town? Well, as I, 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 I'm talking to you, I can say that... Uh, there is really uh, no end in sight looking into the way the strike is going. The municipality is saying that even if the, the people are, are not going up uh, to work, there is no way they can make uh, they, they can make uh, services available to the people. Uh, the issue of sewer, as I'm speaking to, it's very serious because the residents are, com- are complaining to say this is becoming a health hazard to them. Uh, the, the, the water shortage as well. 
it's becoming a serious issue as people are compelled to go to other places to, to, to get water. So for now, the, the workers as well have said that if the municipality is not uh, taking heed of our call, we'll continue with the strike. All right, SABC TV News reporter there, Mweli Masilala. Thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Let's uh, get you the latest now as uh, we remind you about the situation in the northwest today. A group of councillors at the Ngaka Modiri Molema District Municipality has taken those in support of, of uh, the suspended mayor and municipal manager to court. And we will get you more details on that story shortly. So do stay in tune for that. Uh, we're going to speak with our reporter live on that issue. Let's remind you of our top story this hour. Independent defense analyst Helmut Heitman says the resignation of high-profile individuals from the Sereti Arms Procurement Commission is likely to damage its reputation. Looking at the markets now, gold is trading at $1,323.84 an ounce, platinum $1,426.35 an ounce. The rand is trading at 9 rand 87 cents against the US dollar, 14 rand 99 to the pound, and 13 rand 7 cents to the euro. We'll get more economics news when we speak to Mpomore a little bit later. Join me, Hilton Tarrant, every weeknight at 6 for the SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. With breaking business news, expert analysis, investment insights and the story behind the story, we're helping you make sense of the markets and your money. That's the Market Update, weeknights right here on SAFM at 6. The first land audit done in the Free State shows that of the 93% agricultural land in the province, 86% belongs to white farmers. It also shows that about 13% of agricultural land belongs to black people. Although, according to the figures, it seems that land reform is moving very slow in the province, Free State Agricultural Operational Manager Jack Armour says the figures should be seen in the right context of the entire South Africa. The Free State is the second province after KwaZulu-Natal to have done this audit. Unica Smith with more. Operational Manager for Free State Agriculture Jack Armour says the conclusion that should be drawn from the audit is that chasing land numbers is not the solution to transformation. He says transformation is much more than hectares of land transferred. It has to do with an entire value chain and involves support systems that need to be in place to educate and train farmers before they can begin farming. He says most young people do not want to work on a farm, but want to work in agribusinesses where they can earn a lot of money. There's a bit of a crisis as in who are Who's the next generation of beneficiaries for this land? Where are the people that are going to farm this land going to come from? And, and one of our standpoints as we said agriculture is that our own farm workers should be the people who should be benefiting. But government is not, is not coming to the party. There's countless examples that were mentioned in the conference today of farmers that have tried to help their farm workers access land through government, um, access funds through government to buy shares into, into the farmers' lands. And and government hasn't been, hasn't been able to help them. We as Free State Agriculture have presented um, 40,000 hectares to government, um, of which of not one of those farms have been bought by government, stating that we spend too much on that land. But when you look at the facts, when you look at what the government eventually spends on that land, they end up spending more. And they blame the farmers for wanting too much for, land, for the land. But that's not the case. I think there's a whole lot of middlemen that are also um, profit, profiting out of this. So there's a lot of um, issues and a lot of problems still to be addressed. And we need to strategize. We need to sit together. We need to come up with a solution. Alma says there were few claims for restitution in the Free State. It's critical that we don't just look at the Free State in an isolated context. We need to look at the Free State within the context of the entire South Africa. Where has all where's the land reform already been taking place? Where has the budget that land reform has spent on land reform that could have actually bought half of the value of all the agricultural land in South Africa already? Where has that been spent? That has been spent in the highly productive, um, subtropical, high rainfall areas, the highest value agricultural land. And I don't think there are that many black people that are interested in farming vast extenses of very marginal of, of land. Yes, there may be, but government has focused their spending on high potential agricultural land and most of that spending has come through restitution claims. The Ahang SA spokesperson Tabu Lisilu told the Congress that most black people have a poor perception of white farmers and that they are holding on to land. He says the perception was aggravated by the behavior of farmers mistreating and not paying workers. 
He says from the Congress he has learned that it's wrong to generalize that all the farmers are not treating their workers with respect. He advised farmers to change misconceptions about themselves. I think it's quite important that the, the good things that uh, uh, the farmers are doing should be known. If you ask the average black person, uh, you would think that all farmers, farmers are actually opposed to land reform, which is not true. And then I heard today that the agricultural union actually supports land reform. I think it's actually a good thing. One will, the misconception also will be that uh, they will fight tooth and nail to protect the benefits that the 1930 Land Act enabled the white community to enjoy. But I came here today and had they actually uh, don't agree with the 1930 Land Act and people want agriculture to be deracialized and to be in inclusive of all sectors of the community, which is a very important development. But that message needs to go out. Congress will come up with various solutions today and the funding possibilities of national government as well as the strategic way forward will be discussed. Unica Smith, SABC News, Bloemfontein. In the Eastern Cape now, the Nelson Mandela Bay Metro has no municipal manager. That's after Dr. Lindiwe Msengani Ntlela resigned yesterday. Eastern Cape local government MEC Mlipo Obushiane has confirmed that Msengani Ntlela is leaving the troubled municipality. This after the appointment of Dr. Mamisa Chabula Ngiweni as acting manager during a special council meeting last week. Msengani Ndlela has been on sick leave for almost two months. Well, for more on this now, we're joined on the line by our reporter Asande Ntame. Asande, good afternoon. Tell us uh, a little bit more background on this story. Well, Msengani Ndlela, as you say, has been on leave for almost two months. Uh, uh, this followed first a uh, well question with the current executive mayor, Mr. Ben Fisher, and his deputy over political interference. Uh, ever since then, she went on leave. Uh, this was followed by a court battle, which was brought by the UDM, questioning her appointment and whether or not it was legal or not. Uh, so she extended her leave to uh, the two months that we have come to to be now at, but on Monday she returned at work. This followed, obviously, as we were saying in your intro, the appointment of Umama Umamisa Chabulani Rubeni as the acting municipal uh, manager, uh, but only she was back here for only three days, uh, whereby she actually put forward her resignation letter to the local MEC uh, for local government yesterday, Mr. Mlibu Kubushiani. And this is what Mr. Mlibu Kubushiani had to say as with regards to receiving that uh, resignation letter from him. We are going to request the council also to convene possible a special council meeting because if the MM resigns, there is a vacancy. It's not a question of acting for somebody who is on leave. So that will require an urgent council meeting to consider the direction in which, working together with the local municipality, the province and national, we have to designate a solid, capable, credible and competent individual to ensure that administration is processed in a manner consistent with law and constitution. And what was the reaction of the council following the resignation of uh, the municipal manager? Well, some of the reactions differ depending on who you're speaking to. Uh, mm -hmm. The DA, for instance, which is the official of opposition uh, party, expressed disappointment and sadness. But the business chamber, which has been uh, calling for stability for some time now in the region, as you may know, that we have not had a municipal manager for the past three to four years now, which has caused... Uh, or kind of limited business confidence. So this is what Mr. Kevin Hasler, the CEO of the Nelson Mandela Business Chamber, had to say about the latest developments. And that's our reporter, Asanda and Tamide. Unfortunately, not enough time to play that clip. So thanks, uh, Asanda, for giving us the latest on that story. Heading exactly to 12.30 now, time for your news headlines. Uh, joined in studio by Utsila Sako. Utsila, good afternoon. And now let's find out more details about what's coming up after Midday Live. Shadow Twala is on the line. Hi, Shadow. Let's read some SMSs that have come through. This one from Tony in Johannesburg. Thanks for this SMS, Tony. He writes, At a loss for words, a very sad day for Zimbabweans. This is a Black Thursday writing in Tony there in Johannesburg. Of course, it is an issue that we've been covering all afternoon and, of course, for a number of days now as we've been looking at Zimbabwe's elections. Today, we're finding out in IBC, the country's finance minister, saying up to a third of Zimbabweans registered for the vote unable to do so. About 2 million people of the 
1.4 million that were registered to vote in this year's Zimbabwean elections, unable to do so. He makes claims of vote ringing and uh, irregularities in the vote, serious flaws, and he calls it a monumental failure. Uh, of course, we spoke with our reporters there, and our editor who is covering these elections was still waiting to hear from more election monitors as to what they say on this issue. But, of course, we will keep you updated as we do hear more details coming through this afternoon. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about labor issues in the country as well, um, and uh, we'll get you more details on that this afternoon. And uh, remember, we do invite your phone calls, uh, rather your SMSs, phone calls, you can give us a call on BM Live this afternoon. But SMSs, you can send us, 34701, 34701, and uh, it costs you two rand to do so, 34701. Send us your SMSs on any of the stories that we've brought you today. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Now, today marks National Day Against Child Labor. This year's commemoration of the day will be held in Budplas in the Impumalanga province. The campaign derived from an agreement with the International Labour Organization, the ILO, to which South Africa is a signatory. Statistics South Africa estimates that 820 children are subjected to illegal labour practices every day. For more on this now, we're joined on the line by our reporter, Fusi Twala. Fusi, good afternoon. Thanks for your time. What exactly is child labour and uh, have they made a distinction between child labour and child work? Uh, according to the, the Department of Labor, child labor is em, uh, employing a, a, a child on a permanent basis whose age is below the age of 18. And they are saying uh, that children that are, are in, 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 in some exceptional instances, you uh, children below uh, or children below the age of 17 can be uh, uh, employed, but if under strict uh, conditions, uh, making it uh, to say that they assume that uh, they say if a child is committed metric, can be uh, employed, but he is under a strict condition and should not be uh, given extensive uh, uh, labor activities. Now how severe is the problem in South Africa? They've indicated that uh, it is uh, mostly practiced uh, uh, on, on, on farm areas, in farms, basically. But uh, what they're saying is that they, they, they are sending now uh, teams of uh, 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 inspectors to go and also conduct uh, their, uh, their own investigations to see how uh, they can uh, quickly uh, uh, address the problem because they're saying that uh, it, uh, Mostly uh, it's, it's, it's farming community, but they, they, it's only based on uh, findings uh, given to them by uh, statistics. But they can't really go around and, 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 and go for the exact uh, uh, farms, uh, farms because no, farm, no farms exactly have been identified to say this uh, specific farm uh, is practicing uh, child, child labor. Because once that uh, has been identified, they will be able to arrest them. Vusi Twala, our reporter there in Mpumalanga, covering the National Day Against Child Labour, of course, an issue. If you'd like to comment on it, 34701, love to hear your thoughts on it. Let's talk about WikiLeaks now. It may be an issue close to you. A media analyst, Joe Simon, says the trial and conviction of the U.S. Army private who released top-secret documents to WikiLeaks is part of a troubling trend under the guise of governments protecting their national security. Bradley Manning faces up to 136 years in prison when sentencing begins today after being convicted in terms of the country's Espionage Act, among others. Sherman Bryce Pease reports from New York. Guilty of espionage, computer fraud and other military infractions. But media analysts believe the government went too far in its pursuit of Bradley Manning Joe Simon is the executive director of the Committee to Protect Journalists. Covering national security is incredibly difficult and dangerous. And we know that sources who cooperate with journalists are under tremendous pressure. And this is a, an extremely aggressive prosecution. Manning had already pled guilty to charges that could have sent him to jail uh, for 20 years. And yet the government continued to pursue the most aggressive charges, including a interpretation of aiding the enemy, which we found very threatening. The Army intelligence analyst released hundreds of thousands of classified documents to WikiLeaks, including Iraq and Afghanistan war logs and incriminating video footage of an ill-conceived airstrike that killed 12 Iraqis, including a Reuters photographer and his assistant. 
Simon says Manning is a source. I don't think we need to describe him beyond that because journalists have sources who provide information to them for a variety of reasons. Some are whistleblowers. Some are leakers. Some have uh, uh, high-minded motives. Some have less high-minded motives. That really doesn't matter. When you're a journalist, if the information is in the public interest, um, you have an obligation to report it. So Manning was a source of information uh, for WikiLeaks, and that information eventually ended up, also we have to keep in mind, in the mainstream media. So he's a source, and uh, sources are under threat. He says the current paradigm allows governments to increasingly restrict information under the guise of national security, a worrying trend in both democratic and repressive states. In the United States, we're seeing an aggressive um, uh, campaign against leakers uh, and whistleblowers that, have, that have, have caught up the press. In South Africa, we're seeing government assert broad authority to limit uh, public debate in the name of national security. So clearly governments have this authority. The question is, are they exploiting it? Are they abusing it? Are they going too far in asserting this right? What is increasingly clear is the huge divide between organizations arguing for greater civil liberties and government agencies tasked with how best to protect their citizens in a world of increased insecurity. And it's this trust deficit between both sides that is proving unhelpful in a world that more often than not requires a middle ground. In the interim, those like Bradley Manning who break the law to release what they believe will expose corrupt practices must bear the full consequences of their actions. Sherwin Bricepies, SABC News, New York. Well, we're going to cross to our market soon, where Paul More is standing by the JSE to talk to us a little bit further. On a day when the Federal Reserve seems to be giving no hints of changing its stimulus plans, we'll find out how it reacted uh, this afternoon. But first, let's talk a little bit more business. The manufacturing sector has made further gains, landing above the key 50-point mark for the fourth consecutive month in July. The Kagiso PMI has edged up 52.2 points from June's 51.6. While concerns remain about possible industrial action in the mining sector, generally conditions in manufacturing have marginally improved. This comes on the back of better-than-expected trade account data, which all, which all things being equal, might give much-needed respite to the land, to the rand rather. Dimakatsu Leshoro has filed this report. Today's JSE report is brought to you by Telco. Well, we will get that report from uh, Dimakatsu Leshoro in a short while. She's going to be telling us a little bit more about this Kagiso PMI data that comes out today. 52.2 points, it says, from June's 51.6. So we'll get more details on that shortly. And don't forget, Paul More joining us in a short while on a day when the U.S. Federal Reserve plans to keep its stimulus in place. Uh, how, would, uh, how did world markets react, the European Central Bank and the Bank of England as well? Dimakatsu Leshoro bringing us more on this report. Today's gain, surprise on the upside in a sector largely faced with tough conditions. It puts the local PMI on par with upward trends in the Eurozone and the U.S. Yana Leroux, an economist at ETM Analytics, keeps a cautious look. Whether this will translate into meaningful support in, in manufacturing production growth is unlikely. So we believe that going forward we should see modest growth at best at the manufacturing level. The increase buoyed by a stronger rand and a boost in new sales orders, which Viv Govender, an analyst at Fundani Private Clients, says suggests that demand for manufactured goods has been slowly improving in recent months. Fundani is probably playing an effect, but we also see prices coming through, for instance, in the PMI. And that was a, that showed a, quite a large jump uh, one of the largest we've seen for some time. The employment sub-index, which has stubbornly remained under the key 50-point mark, made a 2.6-point gain in July, bringing it up to 47.5 points. Yesterday, the Reserve Bank Governor, Jill Marcus, lamented on the state of employment in the country and urged government to show decisive leadership in tackling South Africa's domestic problems. Her comments came a day after the latest quarterly labor force survey showed that the manufacturing sector shared nearly 18,000 jobs during the second quarter of 
this year. This brings the number of unemployed people in the country to a record 4.7 million. Marcus also raised concern about the negotiators' inability to align pay to productivity in collective agreements between employers and unions. A major feature of the labor market regime has been the inability to more closely link pay to productivity growth. This was not what was intended. When the Labor Relations Act of 1996 was passed, the intention was for collective agreements to serve as framework agreements. The intention was that within these framework agreements, firms would negotiate firm-specific agreements linking salary increases to productivity gains. In practice, this is the exception rather than the rule. To introduce greater links to performance, one does not have to change the law. The drop in the trade deficit for the month of June, which came in at 7.71 billion rand from May's 11 billion rand, may bring some respite to the currency. The higher deficit has in part put the rand under pressure over the past 18 months, causing a significant depreciation in the currency. Susan Mwazana is chief economist at FNB. We think that the exchange rate will remain under pressure. Uh, reason being that um, for the year as a whole, we do expect the current account deficit to narrow from the minus uh, 6.5% that we saw last year to closer to 5.5% this year. Meanwhile, growth in China's manufacturing sector remains fragile, increasing concerns that China's economic cooldown could extend to the third quarter of 2013. The official PMI, which focuses on big and state-owned firms, rose to 50.3 in July from 50.1 in June, while in contrast, the HSBC Purchasing Managers Index, compiled by Market Economics Research, showed activity shrank for a third straight month as it fell to an 11-month low of 47.7 points. Despite this, analysts have cautioned against rushing to a conclusion that the world's second-largest economy had arrested its decline. Viv Gavender. When it comes to these Chinese numbers, you, you look at the official number, then you look at the unofficial number as well, and the unofficial number often has more you know, weight in the market than the official number. The reason is that people believe uh, that they, their numbers are a bit uh, suspect. Yana Liru is an economist at ETM Analytics. China is one of South Africa's major export partners, so the fact that, that we're seeing a soft patch there could limit the extent to which the local productive sector performs in coming months. For SABC News in Johannesburg, I'm Dimagazolishoro. Today's JSE report is brought to you by Telcom Business. Convergence. One solution, one service provider. And we're now on the line to Mpo More from Sasfin Securities to get us the latest from the JSE. Mpo, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Good afternoon, Desha. How has the market reacted to this decision then by the uh, U.S. Federal Reserve to keep the stimulus scheme in place? Well, Desha, the market is trading FEMA, helped uh, once again by resource shares and a FEMA close in the use as uh, investors welcome U.S. Federal Reserve decision to keep stimulus scheme in place and positive GDP, GDP figures from the U.S. Markets are also better in Europe, where the foot is up 0.35%, tax up 1.12%, and the CAC 40 is 0.42% better. Back to the JC, we've got the gold index up 1.8%, resource index up 1.34%, industrial index up three quarters of a percent, financial index down 0.15%, and the overall market is up 285 points, or 0.69 of a percent to 41,578 points. So a fairly good start, but we had some results also out from uh, OsloMittal SA, Liberty Holdings, and uh, a trading update today from MTN. Uh, we'll start with the OsloMittal. They released their interim results. The headline loss per share came in at uh, 31 cents. as against headline earnings per share of uh, 26 cents previously. This was mainly due to fire at the Fundervale Park uh, uh, plant. Operating profit uh, declined by 23 million rands to 233 million rands. No dividend was declared, and ArcelorMittal is currently trading 1.1% lower at 33 rands and 8 cents. Liberty Holdings also released their interim result. Fully diluted basic earnings per share came in at 297.1 cents, as against 277.3 cents previously. An interim dividend of 212 cents was declared. Liberty Holdings is currently trading 0.7% lower at 121 rands and 74 cents. And lastly, MTN announced that the headline earnings per share for the six month ended uh, 30 June 2013 are expected to be between 20% and 25% higher than the comparative period. MTN is currently trading 0.94% higher at 187 rands. Any big movers today? 
Uh, on the upside, we've got uh, Spare Corp up uh, 4.9% to 32 rands and 1 cent. Impala Platinum up 3.8% to 100 rands and 70 cents. Harmony Gold up 3.7% to 37 rands and 59 cents. Fushini Group up 3.66% to 104 rands and 28 cents. Grinrod up 3% to 23 rands and 59 cents. On the downside, we've got Into Properties down 3.2% to 49 rands and 32 cents. Kuro Holdings down 2.7% to 17 rands and 85 cents. Netcare down 1.5% to 23 rands and 5 cents. First Rent down 1.48% to 29 rands and 22 cents. And lastly, Tsukhosan down 1.25% to 25 rands and 68 cents. And lastly, the uh, latest market indicators, Mpo. The gold price is currently quoted $1,323.40 an ounce. Platinum, $1,436.20 a fine ounce. Brent crude, $107.70 per barrel. The government R157 is trading at yield of 6.1%. And now to our currencies, the rent to the dollar is at 9 rands and 88 cents. The rent to the euro is at 13 rands and 6 cents. The rent to the pound is at 15 rands and 1 cent. Back to you, Dasha. Mpo, thanks for joining us. Mpo More from Sasfin Securities. Joining us on the line from the JSE. Marilyn, I need a non-automated, hand-operated ink dispenser for the objective of on-paper documentation. A pen, sir? Yes, that's the word I was looking for. Using several words when one will get the job done doesn't make sense. Neither does using several providers when you can get voice, mobile, fixed, data, cloud and IT from one service provider. Call 10217, click telcom.co.za forward slash business or visit a Telcom Direct store and get a tailor-made solution. Convergence, one solution, one service provider. Telcom Business. This feature was brought to you by Telcom Business. Talk to Telcom Business about getting you on the journey to convergence with a tailor-made solution. Telcom Business. The fight against human trafficking gets more muscle today. South Africa passed a long-awaited law to formally address incidents of human trafficking. President Jacob Zuma has signed into law the Prevention and Combating of Trafficking in Persons Bill, which seeks to have a single statute which addresses the scourge of trafficking in persons holistically and comprehensively. Up to now, the legislative framework dealing with this issue has been fragmented. For instance, the legislation dealing with sexual offences addressed the trafficking of persons for purposes of sexual exploitation only, while the Children's Act addressed the trafficking of children specifically. Now, earlier I spoke to the President of the South African Chapter of the International Association of Women Judges, Baratang Mochumi, and I began by asking her what her thoughts are on the way South Africa is tackling human trafficking. I'm really impressed. We have worked extremely hard on just sensitizing judicial officers, at least 300 out of the number of uh, judicial officers that we have in the country, on this cause of uh, trafficking in persons. Is it long overdue? A little bit long overdue, but uh, considering that we, we, we started in earnest in, in 2005, six and really in earnest around 2009, uh, it it was expected. There there was a lot of uh, consultation with different stakeholders, the judiciary, the National Prosecution um, Authority, uh, different NGOs at at different uh, provinces, particularly the Free State Anti-Human Trafficking uh, Forum that uh, had to, uh, you know, submit their own views on the on the bill as it stood. Uh, as a result, there was bound to be some bit of hiccups here and there. The TIP bill, as it's known, now signed into law. What does this effectively do in the fight against trafficking? It actually sends a clear message now that we, we, we are not going to, uh, to to run away from this t- type of crime uh, and disguise it under some other offenses. We're going to deal with it for what it is. Uh, you know, the penalty clause um, is, it, it indicates that we are going to deal with this court directly. Uh, whether you are a trafficker yourself or you assist the trafficker to um, abuse women, children in this fashion, you will be dealt with severely. In some cases, we, we think 
that uh, a fine should not be even appropriate. It should be life imprisonment, 25 years, 15 years, 10 years, like that. Mm. Then it will show to the traffickers and those that associate with them that we are serious on this. Judge, do you think we know enough about the problem? Has enough research been, ju- been done on this issue? Childline, for example, says they're still trying to assess exactly how many people have been caught up in the human trade. How do we deal with the problem if there's not enough research on it? Uh, it's, uh, it's true that, we, that there isn't uh, enough research, but I know for a fact that in, in at the Free State University, for instance, Dr. Beatrice Kriya has, has done a lot of work on this, and uh, enough has been put on record to say to us there is a serious crime this, that needs to be dealt with seriously. And what has happened in the free state is that uh, the, the, under the anti-human trafficking uh, forum, people have been sensitized at churches, at uh, in communities about the the you know the the camouflage under which human trafficking operates. I know for a fact that at uh, CUT, many students have been participating in expressing themselves on what they think is human trafficking. And even when we launched the manual, that is what we were talking about. So there is a sense of coordination of teaching, especially our young girls, Mm. that uh, they should not be attracted by anybody who says, uh, come to Johannesburg, come to Cape Town, come to the big cities. You will be given a job, and when they arrive there, it's, uh, it's nothing else that they were promised. And another NGO, the Atlantis Women's Movement, a shelter for traffic, trafficked victims in Atlantis, has been saying uh, around last year, they said, our, our courts are too quiet on this. They think the reason for the spike in trafficking is that no one is really making a noise. Do you think we're yes. skilling our judicial officers to be able to tackle this issue of human trafficking? Like I said, we, we, we did a lot of, uh, you know, groundwork by sensitizing the number of judicial officers that we could touch in, in 2009 up to 2011. And if we have touched at least 300 judicial officers across the country, it, it, it shows that we are serious and we are committed to, 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 to addressing this problem as we have been doing with domestic violence, as we have been doing with sexual offenses. And that was the president of the South African chapter of the International Association of Women Judges, Varatang Mochumi, who I spoke to a little while ago. The official memorial service for the late former Chief Justice Pius Lung is expected to get underway at the Devon City Hall shortly. President Jacob Zuma has described Lunga as a person who, has driven, who was driven by a thirst for equality and justice for all. Educating himself through correspondence with UNISA and finally rising through the ranks to become one of the country's finest legal minds. Lunga served as the country's Chief Justice from June 2005 until his retirement in October 2009. Now, for more on this, we're joined on the line by our reporter, Tuba Virlane. Tuba, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Has the memorial service started as yes? Uh, good day, uh, Dashen, and good day to your listeners. Um, we are here at the Devon City Hall, the memo- where um, there is a memorial service for the former Chief Justice, uh, Pius Langer. It's just uh, the memorial service has just started now. Um, uh, on stage now is um, KZN, MEC for Transport, Willison Tunu. Uh, who's standing in for the uh, Kevin and Premier Dr. William Kevin. And uh, we have seen many people, uh, include the uh, Langa family, uh, including the uh, Justice Minister Jeff Hadele and other laws, uh, members of the Law Society arriving at the hall. What have they said to you so far about their memories of this great man? I mean, uh, everyone in the, in, uh, inside the hall um, or any other corner of the street, they are saying something about uh, former Judges Justice Langa. They are saying that he has played a major role in the formation and the foundation of the law in the country, especially during the time of the upper state, uh, where he played. Uh, he also played a major role in the negotiations, the Codessa negotiations in the early 90s, in the early 90s. And besides that, he also played a major role um, in the community at, at large, where we can remember that um, he was involved in the, um, in the formation of the civic uh, organization in the country and many other uh, 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 major uh, roles he played in the country. Uh, who else is expected to speak at this memorial service today? 
the, the, the key uh, note address will be delivered by the Justice Minister uh, Jeff Hadebe, and also uh, we have seen uh, uh, Minister in the, in the President, Minister Trevor Manuel, and the Guazulu Natal Judge President uh, Patel, they are also aligned to speak in this memorial service. And we'll leave it there with our reporter, Tuba Bilani. Thanks for joining us. The late former Chief Justice Pius Langa will be buried on Saturday, the 3rd of August, after a service at the Durban City Hall and the official funeral broadcast live on SAFM. The national flag will fly at half-mast at every flagpole. That's uh, been from Monday, the 29th of July, until the 3rd of August. That's Saturday, the day of his funeral. Now, the details of the memorial service today, it continues at the Durban City Hall. It uh, was meant to start at 12 o'clock. And uh, don't forget, President Jacob Zuma declaring a special official funeral for the late former Chief Justice Pius Langa. And the details of uh, that special official funeral are as, flo- uh, as follows. The 3rd of August 2013, and that's also at the Durban City Hall the at uh, 10 a.m., so do stay tuned. We will be bringing you more details on that, and of course, broadcasting it live here on SAFM if you're unable to make it to the Durban City Hall, a broadcast on this late great man, the former Chief Justice of South Africa, Pius Langer, who's been described by all as one of the country's finest legal minds. Just a reminder on our top story today, we brought you details about Zimbabwe and the country's finance minister, Tendai Beatty, saying this. This shenanigans was centered around the voters' row, which was so manipulated that it excluded over 2 million people. In Harare alone, it excluded over 200,000, sorry, 300,000 people. Uh, and it was so skewered against the urban areas. So the voter registration rate in rural areas was about 93%. The voter registration rate in urban areas was about uh, 73%. And yet, the urban areas are more populated than the, than the rural areas. That's the country's finance minister, Tendai Beatty, talking about the monumentally flawed election that he talks about in Zimbabwe today. Of course, ZANU-PF, uh, some officials claiming a landslide victory today. Let's remind you about our other top story. As we reported, the Nelson Mandela Bay Metro has no municipal manager. Here's the reaction of the council following the resignation of the municipal manager. We are unable to afford as a city being without a permanent city manager. And the situation does not bode well for continuity, for consistency, for stability, for good governance and for service delivery as it impacts heavily on both the confidence of the business community as well as all the citizens of the metro. And I'm sure that I can speak on behalf of all the citizens of the metro to say that we are all deeply disappointed in the situation as it's developed. Just a reminder of some of the top stories we brought to you this afternoon. Thanks so much to our team for producing this afternoon's edition of Midday Live. That's Mendisa Mgelu, Sitakazela Dlamini, and Mabu Buluka. Technical producer, President Machaya. Our executive producers are Busi Chane and Aubrey Sechia. I'm Dasha Mutli. Have yourself a fantastic afternoon. Remember to catch us again 4 to 6 p.m. on PM Live, which I'll be bringing to you today. And remember, otherwise starts at 1 o'clock. Shadow Twala hosting the show. And Utsila Saka brings you more news. So stay tuned. Goodbye.